Hi, I'm Tim. This is We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. I think one of the best ways for each of us to grow as people is by learning from each other. If you enjoy today's episode, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you're listening from. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Robin May, who is a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister. Uh, She's also the co-host of a podcast called The Problem with Perfect. And um, her... Your, her, your, you're right here with me, Robin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> your son, uh, your college age son, um, a couple of years ago was diagnosed with, um, and correct me if I get this wrong, I'm not good with pronunciations, but he was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Is that that's correct? Per- spoken perfectly. Yes, that's exactly what he had. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, first try. Okay, this is great. Yeah, well done. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. Um, and so I, I invited you here today because I, I want to um, explore it and just learn from, I have so many questions, but you know, at face value, that is an immense, um, a journey of, you know, absolutely having to find strength to not only um, for yourself, my gosh, your, your son, but then, I mean, yourself in dealing with this idea of my son is, is all of a sudden quite sick. But then also being a support for your son during that process. Um, so we, uh, something that really struck me was when I, I don't remember what group we're, we are both a member of in Facebook, but I was asking just folks, you know, if anyone out there um, had any stories about resiliency that might be a good fit to, to chat about on, on my podcast. And uh, you kind of commented on the post in the one line in your comment that really stuck out to me was our story is really about contentment in the midst of chaos. Mm. And that phrase contentment in the midst of chaos. What did you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that's the whole, for us, the real thing that we're supposed to learn and share that learning kind of with the rest of the world. And, you know, as soon as Matthew got sick, we kind of, as a family, decided to cling to some truths that that uh, we hold dear. And one of those is that God was going to use this experience. And um, so we've trusted in that. And so for us, really, we feel like that that is one of the, the learnings that keeps bubbling up to the, to the surface is like that we had to learn in that situation to be content with with whatever the day brought and fast forward with whatever the outcome of his cancer might be. So uh, for us, it was really about learning some skills and and um, habits and together, just really having a resolve that we were going to be content in that chaos. And I have to say it really all spurred from my son and it was, it was really hit. He led the charge on that. Um, it was just a couple of days after he got diagnosed and, and he said to me with tears in his eyes, he said, you know, mom, I've always just wanted God to use my life in a special way. And if this is how he's going to do that, then I'm completely fine with it. So um, Matthew had the sense of contentment from the very get-go that uh, kind of led the charge, and then we all kind of followed after his example. And some days, absolutely, we were more content than others. And still, as we continue to recover from that experience, we have days that are more content than others. But really, I think that's that's the thing that we as humans, no matter what we're experiencing, that's really what we desire is to be okay when life really isn't okay. Yeah, that's a really heavy sentiment about, oh my gosh, that's so strong your son, but for all of you to make peace with the fact that, you know, there's a possibility that this might not end up the way we would prefer it end up and in being content with that. I mean, that's, that's not easy to, I, I would almost, I'm just trying to think of anything in my life that would be even close to that. But 
I would almost wonder if there's some people who couldn't come to that contentment. So I, I'm, that's so amazing. Um, how, yeah, how do you, I, I think it's probably so strong. Or I mean, it's so much easier for you. Well, so much easier. I don't know if any of this is so much easier, but mm-hmm. for if your son's the one who kind of, like you said, spearheads the contentment. Yeah. But I, to some degree, I imagine you just might in your head be like, well, I'm not okay with that. Like, I'm glad you are, but I don't want to yeah. lose you. Absolutely. And I think that it, uh, it took, it took some getting used to that fact, to that idea. And, you know, it's, it is a process. I think anyone who has uh, walked a cancer or a terminal, potentially terminal illness with someone that you love, um, it's, it's a day by day acceptance. So for me to tell you like, Hey, I had that from the very get go. I was, you know, that I would have been fine whether I lost him or not. Uh, absolutely. That would, that would mislead anyone who's, who's listening. Cause it wasn't like this switch that we flipped and said, okay, you know, whether you live or die, we're good, dude. You know? Um, now having said that, uh, Matthew really did from the very get go have just a piece about it that, you know, I have to just think it's divine, right? Um, so that was certainly helpful. But just a process of coming to grips with, you know, if you're going to really put your your hope in some of these these things, that, like I said at the beginning, that, that we believe to be true, then you just, you got to stand there, right? And you got to stand there on those promises, even when it's really hard. And even whenever you don't understand it and when you don't like it. You know, I was I was never ever going to like losing my son. I still don't like the suffering that he went through. And I look back on it's funny we were just talking about it at supper. Um he was talking about you know the parts of treatment that he hated the worst and uh just reflecting on some of that. So I'm never going to be able to say that I am glad he had to suffer and that we had to suffer. But I am to the point where I can say, man, I'm really thankful for all the good that's come out of it, including this whole idea of can we help other people be content in the chaos? Because we all have chaos. You know, we don't all get cancer, but we all live in the chaos of this whirly twirly world that just a lot of days just sucks the life right out of us. Yeah, I like the word. That's part of what struck me and really stuck out to me from your your comment on my post was the the word chaos because I do think it's such an accurate like you said way of kind of describing just life like um mm-hmm. sometimes it's it is indescribable but chaos is is the closest I I can come to that and I think I really connected with that word well and you know I think that we go through life trying to convince ourselves that we have control over so many things that we don't have control over and uh cancer is one of them, right? You know, you have small children and and you are doing everything in your power to protect them from everything bad. Uh, I did the same thing. You know, I was, uh, I guess, you know, probably a helicopter parent to some degree. My husband would probably laugh and say, yeah, all the way in, you were a helicopter parent. Um, (laughs) But it all came from this desire to protect them, right? And sometimes too much. Um, But, uh, it's chaos because there's so much of life we really can't control. And it's scary for people. Like, you know, this podcast may scare people to think about that there's nothing we can do to to protect our kids from really the big demons of this world, right? Like an illness, whether it be a terminal illness or it be something like um, depression or anxiety or diabetes or, you know, those things that are just majorly impacting their quality of life as they move forward. So chaos seems appropriate. It does. Prior to Matthew's diagnosis, had you ever experienced like a a life-changing event of this magnitude before that? Yeah. um, No, I would have to say no. I think for any parent, and maybe I'm overstating it, but I think for for the vast majority of pa- parents, losing a child or the imminent possibility of losing a child is 
is unique and in my mind, the most difficult thing that parents ever have to go through. Um, and I'm not saying that to like say, hey, look at us. We live through this really hard thing because um, I still have my son with me. Um, the, the hardest thing is for me is watching parents that have had to let go of their children. And, uh, you know, I have friends, several friends and a family member that, that have had to do that with, with um, younger children or younger adult kids. So um, I, I think that that experience, um, I don't think there's any preparing you for that experience. The only thing uh, other than, than Matt's illness that I would say has, was really traumatic as an adult was, you know, my mom died suddenly from cancer. She uh, got sick on a Friday and died 13 days later. And I was 37 at the time when she died. So I was young and that, that just came as a real shock. So that was my first real insight into the fact that, wow, you know, this world can knock you on your behind and you don't see it coming. And that's the thing about these chaotic things of life. If we saw them coming, number one, and if we could control them, number two, then it wouldn't be chaos. It would be controlled living. And, and we, don't get, we don't get to live in a, in a space and time that's controlled. Mom, mom dying in 13 days, that's, that had to have been just a complete shell shock. Um, like you said, you know, being quite young, but I mean, at any age, that's, did that just, com is that kind of where you just stopped for a moment in, in thought, like there are absolutely things that are uncontrollable and this is something I need to either prepare for or just really be aware of now? And maybe, maybe you weren't as much prior to that. Uh, I, I think that my mom's death definitely changed my perspective. And, you know, I would love to say that it, it made, you know, I could say all those like utopian things like, oh, it made me appreciate each day and, you know, live life to the fullest. It really didn't so much do those things as um, it took me a while to get regrounded because, you know, I don't think anyone is necessarily ready to live a life without their mother. Um, if you've had a good mother, uh, and, and I was certainly there. So I, I was, I felt totally ill prepared for a life without her. And so I think that, that was, uh, a learning to me that, uh, it began to plant the seed that there will, there will be times when you will experience this, experience this pain and devastation that, um, that will potentially just take you out. And I think that we have to stop hoping and thinking that those things aren't going to come because, you know, everyone that we love has an expiration date, you know, the chances of dying are a hundred percent. And so we live in this culture that doesn't really talk about it, doesn't really prepare for it. We just try so hard to avoid it. And so those were all thoughts that I had, um, and learnings that I had tried to come to grips with from my mom's death that I think d did help me when Matt got sick. But having said that, I mean, you know, Matt was, was a healthy college kid. He was doing great. And then the next moment he was really, really sick. Um, so like life as we knew it really did shatter into a million pieces overnight. So he comes home from college for winter break and then it was it started with back pain like he wakes up in the morning and it seemingly yeah. normal not normal but I mean sometimes you sleep the wrong way and you have kind of exactly pain. yep that's exactly right so he he actually came home in February he got sick in February so he had been back in, at school for I think four or five weeks I think he was five weeks into his semester and came home for on the weekend and you know I was he got up and I was like, oh, hey, did you sleep well? I'm sure it was nice not to sleep in your, on your top bunk in your dorm room. And uh, he's like, actually, I didn't sleep well at all. My, my back just was really hurting all night long and I just couldn't get comfortable. So like that's how quickly the symptoms came on. Like literally one minute they were, he was fine. And the next minute he had this back pain. 
and eventually that back pain went up his back into his uh, upper spine and then eventually across his shoulders, down his arms. And then it, uh, eventually he started having pain in his jaw as well as other symptoms. But that's the thing about um, leukemia. It's a blood cancer. So basically he was having bone pain. So wherever he had bones in his upper body, he was ha- experiencing pain. Not to freak every parent out there, right? Because now every parent's going to be going, oh, my ba- my son has back pain. No. Uh, no, it's, it's understandable. I mean, there's, I have always marveled at the human body is such a complex oh. living, almost machine. You know, it's like this, the most complex thing. And I mean, it's just a miracle every day that we're all, you know, still here. Because just, just from the notion, and not to be glass half empty, but you you have a such a complex machine like that. There's so many points of failure, and the fact that they all work together in harmony every day is is a great thing. So, yes. And then, like you said, just simple back pain. How did you know that? I mean, I, obviously, the back pain spreading, and I guess it mm-hmm. spread pretty quickly. I guess the 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 short time frame between the initial pain and the continued pain was that the signal that maybe we should go see a doctor or just, you know, something's wrong. We should just get it checked out just in case. Um, yeah. So it was a series of events like that. The initial back pain happened on a Friday night, Saturday morning. He drove back to college and on Sunday night in the middle of the night, my phone rang and it was Matt and he was like, mama, it's excruciating pain. It's radiating in my shoulders now. And, uh, I heard a a fear in his voice that I had never heard. And uh, so I immediately uh, hung up and called my brother, who's a physician. And my brother happens to be a physician in the same town where my son goes to college. And so he said, yeah, send him to the ER. We'll uh, give him a Toradol shot. And then I'll see him in my office tomorrow. And so my brother took a look at him the following day. And uh, he had some vertebra that were displaced. So my brother um, manipulated him and said, oh, you know, I think this is probably the reason for it. That makes sense. But he said, you know, it'll take a few days for that to actually loosen up and feel better. So I gave him some some pain meds for the interim. And so that was on a Monday. By Thursday, he still wasn't really better. Uh, not really making much progress. And, you know, he's at college and I'm at home, so I don't know exactly what that's looking like or how sick he is or some other things that were going on. Like, you know, he w- he was running a fever and I didn't know it. He was, like, having, like, night sweats, and so he's soaking his sheets. Um, so we went and got him and brought him home the following weekend and we actually took him to an emergency room in our hometown where we live on this, that, that Sunday. So, you know, we're talking Friday night, Saturday morning were the first symptoms. By the following Sunday, so seven days later, we have him in the emergency room. Um, and it, that's kind of a long story. But the long story short is from, from all of that, we knew that something was really wrong. The one part I found really, I don't even know the word for it. I was going to say interesting. It is interesting, but um, a, a burden on you was, so this was during the, the Oscars, I think. You <laughs> you texted, yeah. was it your brother then, or you texted a different doctor? to? Yeah, to... So, so once we finally got the lab results from that emergency room visit, I immediately called my brother and I said, this is this, you know, what do all these numbers mean? You know, because at that point I had no idea. I didn't know what your hemoglobin should be or what your platelet should be, or even what your white blood cell count should be. I didn't know. So for some, for some doctor to call and give me these numbers and his response was some of these are abnormal. So I would encourage you to repeat this, the CBC with your primary care physician later this week. That was the advice we got from the uh, emergency room doctor. So I read my the, the, the numbers off to my brother, and he was very calm and said, you know, yeah, I think maybe you need to see a, you need to talk to a hematologist. And I said, oh my gosh, you think this is cancer? 
And he said, I didn't say it was cancer, you know, but there are some abnormalities and a hematologist will be able to give you, you know, a better idea. And so I said, well, do you think I should call our buddy Mark Velik? And my husband and I are both runners and we belong to this running group. And out of that running group, we met Dr. Velik, Mark Velik, who is a hematologist oncologist. He's also the doctor who diagnosed my mother's cancer and sort of walked that that season of her death with with me as well. So, um, yeah, I said, you know, should I get a hold of Dr. Velik? And my brother said, yes, I think you should. And I said, oh, should I call him tonight or should, can this wait till tomorrow? And he said, I think you should call him tonight. So, um, yeah, so the Academy Awards are on. I decided I would send Dr. Velik a text rather than call him because at that point it was like nine o'clock at night. And so I just said, hey, you know, sorry to bother you, but here's the situation. Matt's been having these symptoms. We had some lab work and here's the results of his labs. And I actually took a picture and sent it to him of what the lab said. And yeah, so the Academy Awards are on. Matt's on the right side of me and my husband's on the left side of me on the love seat. And the response on the text is, um, I'm really sorry, Robin. I hope I'm wrong. But this sounds like ALL. And then in parentheses, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And, you know, you were joking, like, I don't know how to say acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Like, I don't even know if I'd ever even heard those, those words prior to that text. Yeah, I was going to say, did you, I mean, him putting in parentheses, did you even have any idea what that, I mean, the vaguest idea what that was? Did you even know that was like cancer or? I, I definitely knew, yeah, that leukemia was cancer. But beyond that, I really, I honestly had no idea. Um, I had no idea really what what that meant. And even really that it, uh, it's funny now you're like, I can't even remember everything that I didn't know, but I basically knew nothing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, um, Dr. Velik said, I need you to get him to the hospital now. I'll be here in the morning. And, um, to diagnose it, you do like this kind of gross rogue procedure where basically they chisel out part of your bone marrow on your backside. So, you know, he lays prone oh, wow. and then they, they dig that out. But so that happened the next morning. Um, there were probably 10 people around his bed by seven o'clock to do that procedure. And they took the sample off and they said, you know, it, it will likely take up to 24 hours for us to get a conclusive diagnosis. I'm like, okay. And so um, Dr. Bellet goes off to clinic and uh, he calls me. It, it was like 825 and I was in Matthew's little bathroom brushing my teeth and uh and he said it we don't we the first the first sample is conclusive he has ALL so yeah it all happened very very quickly from the first time this word acute lymphoblastic leukemia or this disease came was brought to my mind to the time that we got a diagnosis was like um 11 hours so kudos to our hospital for just kicking butt and giving us exceptional care. Yeah, that's pretty extraordinary. When you got that text during the Academy Awards and you saw that phrase, did you, what what were you thinking? I mean, like to some extent, I mean, I suppose it wasn't until the next morning that it was officially conclusive, but to some extent you then out of yourself, your husband, your son, you were now the sole one who knew that this is a, a likely mm-hmm. outcome right. or this is likely what's happening. Yeah, what, what did so, you feel in that moment? I mean, that to me, that's what I meant by it seems like such a burden on you oh, in that okay, moment. Yeah. So, you know, how, yeah, how do you like approach? Yeah, I don't even know. Like, how do you, you know, you turn to them and what do you say? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was the like tears were streaming down my face at that point. So sometimes, you know, you say the most by what you don't say. And I'm not a quiet person. So the fact that I was sitting there in tears said a lot, particularly to my husband. Um, And 
And I just quietly said, we need to go to the hospital. Dr. Bellick thinks this could be leukemia. And um, so we've talked about that moment since then. And, and Matthew really was like, oh, gosh, mom's just being mom's just being mom. She's overreacting. Now she's got Dr. Velick, who's all up in arms about something. So I think Matthew honestly didn't, the gravity of it didn't seem to hit him like it did me. And you have to remember, he's still in a lot of pain. So from his perspective, he just wants to stop hurting because he's in extreme pain. Um, and so, yeah, but that's not the sort of thing you can kind of sit on and not say, hey, you know, so not telling them didn't, yeah, wasn't really an option. And we had lots of times throughout Matt's treatment where things like that would happen, where I would get the news first and have to sit with it before I could, you know, share it with my husband or share it with Matthew. Um Matthew's condition, uh, we found out, was actually worse than we originally thought on that same Friday. So he was diagnosed on Monday. And on that Friday, we found out that Matthew has something called Philadelphia chromosome. And many leukemics have this chromosome, which is a genetic, genetic dysfunction, which predisposes people to get leukemia. Now, not everyone that has the genetic dysfunction gets leukemia, but it does predispose you for it. And if you have it, then it also makes treating your leukemia more difficult. And it also increases the mortality rate with leukemia and increases the likelihood of reoccurrence. So I got that news as well. Um, and then that, that, and that was actually harder to share than the original diagnosis. Because it was just like, oh. Uh, that, that really, that one took, that one literally took, took the air right out of me. That's almost like, I mean, the first time was, I mean, that's, that's bad news. And this time it was almost like, this is, I already delivered bad news. Here's potentially mm -hmm. even worse news. Yeah, it felt, it felt really bad because, um, the, the, the mortality rate, the cure rate, let's say this, the cure rate kind of in those first moments, like the literature that the hospital brought to me, it kind of flipped the cure rate. So uh, initially we were told that his chance for cure was 85%. And then with that diagnosis, they said, oh, now his cure, the likelihood of cure is 15%. So uh, that, that was my true moment of despair was that that whole time there just trying to wrap my arms and my head around the fact that uh you know in that moment it was it was a very real possibility that we, we that we would lose him 85 to 15 is not even like a slight change in odds that's mm -hmm. that's just a the complete other side of the table yeah absolutely and, uh, and it also by that point, Matthew had already, um, had several days of chemo and that's the thing about, um, his chemo regimen was like, he was hospitalized for days and days and days and you just get chemo around the clock. Um, oh, wow. and so it's not like, oh, you go to, and I'm not minimizing anyone's cancer experience, but it's not like you go and you get an infusion and you go home, you get one, they hang one and then they hang another one. and. Like, um, you know, so by this point on Friday, he was, he was really sick, really sick. And, uh, it just, yeah. So, uh, that what I would say is, was probably for me, like rock bottom. You know, I smiled when you said about, um, when he, when you first told him, you got that text in your tears and during the Academy Awards and you tell him and, and his initial reaction is sort of, oh, you're mom, you're, you know, you're blowing out of proportion. And I kind of smile because I just, that's such the human son. I do that with my parents all the time. I feel like my dad always blows things out of proportion, you know, like mm -hmm. it's always exaggerated. And I, I just, I feel like that's such a typical reaction that I think any son might have, you know, I just smile at that because I, I don't know your well, son, but it yeah, just seems and you're like 18, such a human, right? 
Yeah. And yeah. You're 18. You're, you're, you know, you're invincible at that point. I, you know, death probably, and I don't know, it had to, I wouldn't say it had never crossed his mind. It had crossed his mind. Um, he, uh, he grew up and I mentioned earlier that, you know, I have friends who have lost their children and, and Matthew grew up with one of those friends, you know, she had cystic fibrosis and, you know, he, he, he was, he was there at the end. So I know he had contemplated what death was like and, and had experienced the pain of that, but to really contemplate his own death in that context, you know, not so much. You know, the other irony in all of that, as I think back to those Academy Awards, and uh, that was the year that Steve Harvey, you know, announced the wrong Miss Universe or America. And they had to come and say, oh, actually, you didn't win, but you did. And then the same thing happened with the Academy Awards. Do you remember that? They Vaguely. gave the award. Vaguely, yeah, they gave yeah. the award to the wrong person, to the wrong movie. And then while that movie is up there accepting their best picture award, Steve Harvey has to come out and go, "Oh, actually, you know, you didn't win." I do um, remember this now. <laughs> yeah, and so I remember just thinking, "Oh Lord, please, just just let this be." Um, pointing to the outcome, like, oh, look, this isn't really leukemia. This is just mono, right? Oh, yeah. Um, just thinking about, like, I want this to all be wrong. I want this to somehow be a mistake. I, I want this to just be something simple. But, but that wasn't the case. We didn't, we didn't get that. What do you think throughout? So, I mean, the next morning, Matthew gets the conclusive diagnosis that this is indeed what the doctor suspected is indeed what he has. And then treatment begins. Um, as you mentioned, pretty intensive treatment. What, what do you think Matthew was looking to you for, you know, as this process began, were you kind of the go-to support system or, or was it you and your husband combined? Like, I'm, I'm wondering Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously his initial response was the typical son response, but I'm sure as it became, you know, the next phase of and how serious this was, what do you think he was looking to you for? Well, I've heard him talk about the experience and uh, it's funny because he'll, he'll give you his perspective about how like it was, it really was team Matt. And, and, you know, that was our hashtag. And we talked about that a lot in all our social media posts, team Matt. Well, we all had roles like on what uh, for team Matt and I was, I was for sure the quarterback. So, um, as time went on, we definitely had delineated responsibilities and roles, but from the get go, my role has always, has been quarterback. And so, um, and I have a, a medical background, so that default happened really naturally um, and it, and I had, you know, this relationship with a doctor from, from when my mom died. And so, um, I think Matthew in so many ways, like about his treatment and the path moving forward, he completely looked to me and to, to my husband to make decisions for him that were in his best interest. He wasn't going to negotiate those things whatever we said, we collectively as his parents and his physician said, this is the best thing for you. Like there was never any argument or dispute or conversation. Like whatever the best thing was is what we were going to do. And um, so I think that, you know, he was looking to me for me to just uh, to be that quarterback and to like mom was the next play. Um, I also think eventually pretty immediately, you know, he became, physically very dependent on me. Um, and so that's a role that, uh, that, you know, obviously I embrace, but it's, it's like, you know, we went back in time 17 years. It was like, he was, you know, uh, in many ways, an infant. Um, I said that he started treatment immediately. So, um, on Tuesday morning, he got a pick line and, inserted so he would receive treatment in his pick line and then um he went right from there into surgery uh brain surgery um because uh leukemia likes to hide in your brain and so 
whether it's present in your brain or not, you have to get treatment and that goes directly into your brain. And so um, he, if you know like a chemo port that goes in someone's chest, he basically had a chemo port installed in his brain. So he comes out of surgery getting this installed in his brain. And then immediately after that, after he comes out of ICU, no, he was still in ICU. And our doctor accessed that port and did, it's called an intrathecal. So the chemo goes through. Basically, you take fluid off of the brain and this exact amount that you take off it, then you fill that with chemo. Um, and that, uh, I think he ended up having 11 of those treatments and those always made him the sickest, like immediate sickness. Um, and so uh, he had that treatment. Uh, on that Tuesday, and then we went into then his first infusion of chemo, which uh, that one, and they warned us, they said, you know, this could be ugly. Basically, it looked a lot like an exorcism. Like, literally, his body just shook violently, and he sweat profusely, and it was just kind of god-awful to watch. And so I think in all those moments, you know, he's just looking for uh, the assurance that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're right here with you. Um, we're going to get through this. And um, I was always the person that if he needed anything, I was going to do my very best to get it for him. So if that was a pain medicine, if that was a nausea, a nauseous, a nausea medicine, whatever it was, if it was a nurse, if it was a question. So, so yeah, I was, I was his quarterback. So he's he's looking to you to know that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's that's a lot of responsibility for you then. Who do you look to to be reassured it's going to be okay? Cuz I imagine that you you alone I, I mean some you needed someone to reassure you cuz I mean the strongest we are I I'm sure you I'm not assuming, but I, I got to imagine that you at moments were like, someone tell me this is going to be okay. Mm -hmm, sure. Yeah. Well, the first person that I look to for that is, uh, is my husband and Tom was, uh, Tom was there every step of the way and, and our roles were different. I mean, he went, he tried to go to work as much as he could. Um, and I, I was fortunate enough that I, I got to pick and choose when I went to work and I really went to work when it was like a reprieve and when I absolutely just needed a break. Um, but he's definitely, you know, my first rock. Uh, we were also fortunate enough to just be surrounded by an, an amazing faith group of people that just constantly, and I go back to where I started all of this by saying, you know, we believe that good was going to come from this. Um, there's a bunch of other things that we believed, you know, that like God would never leave us nor forsake us, that, you know, he has plans for us and plans for Matthew. Um, and so we just had a really strong faith community that reminded us of, of, of those things. Uh, our pastors, and I say ours because, you know, like my husband and I, we had our pastor that really walked it with us and encouraged us and probably you know, kept, kept Tom strong so that Tom could keep me strong. But aside from that, Matthew had this, has this amazing group of young men. And, um, they had this, have, they've had this small group going ever since they were like sophomores in high school. And the leader of, of that group, um, was Matthew's mentor. And he, uh, he, there was actually two of them, but one of them was was there like every week and just uh, really helped helped us all keep perspective about you have to stay with what is, not with what what if. And so for us, what is and what never changed were these promises that you know God made to us in the Bible and that we saw we've seen him be faithful throughout the narratives of the Bible to his people when he made promises to them. And we could look back on our lives and say, oh, look how God's been faithful to us. And even today, whatever today is, even if it's that God awful day on that Friday, whenever my face is down on the hospital floor thinking, oh my gosh, I might lose my son. 
or to the day where they said, you know, no more chemo. Um, you just have to trust that God will continue to be faithful. And so I think that we were able to remain strong because we were surrounded by people that believed what we did and reminded us of all of those things that we knew to be true and we believed to be true, but sometimes they were hard, they were hard to see because, um, what we saw and what we believed to be true didn't always align up, align. Does that make sense? Like, you know, we believe that good would come from it. Although in some particular days, there was absolutely nothing good that happened in that particular day. And, and that's what I was just going to ask was, I know, like you said, one of the things you believe is that good was going to come from this, but like, I'm trying to think, how do you in, I mean, we're all, we're only human, the name of this podcast. How do you reconcile a belief that good is going to come from this when, you know, this is an extreme sickness, you know, a human is extremely sick. Like, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not necessarily, a, um, a practitioner of faith as much as, as you are, but I, I can understand, uh, um, that there is an innate belief there that can help almost in my mind, reassure you that although I can't understand at the moment, how good is going to come from this, uh, you know, my belief can help shepherd me in understanding that it will somehow. Is that all, not all it was, but is that what it was? Or because in my mind, I'm just trying to think, how would I reconcile this belief that good is going to come from this? But the this that I'm referencing is just something that at face value is just simply not good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that when you think about faith, faith is, is believing in things that are not seen. And so that's really what it was. It was a challenge to our faith every day. And were we going to, be, to believe that God was who he says he is, right? And, and inherent to that is, do you believe God is good? And um, for me personally, if I say no to that answer, then I like, I don't really know why I, what, what would be the point in going on in this world? Like, if God isn't good and good doesn't come, then I'm ready kind of to like to say, check, please. I'm done here. Um, so for me, and I think thankfully for, for our family, we could, we could settle on that tr those truths together. Um, that it really was a matter of faith. And it was, it was, it was, you know, you hate to say it was a testing of our faith, but it absolutely was. Sure, um, sure. I don't think that's yeah. a, a bad thing to say. Yeah. I mean, it, what greater test, or at least that's, I can't think of many. Yeah. Tests, but, and you know, sometimes you don't, you just, you don't see, um, you don't see fully things unless there's there's a crisis, you know. And so I think what we were able to see is that we were able to see God's goodness in it all. Um, and, and you know, maybe that would be harder if we if Matthew wouldn't have survived. I, and I, I, you know, I I admit that um, that it's it's you know we're we're really thankful and blessed that we have the outcome that we we do and my heart goes out for every parent that doesn't get this outcome and so i want to be super sensitive to that right because if someone could say oh well it's easy for you to feel that way because you you have your son with you um but but i would also say to that like i don't have any promises for tomorrow like none of us do but but you know once cancer visits you know there's always the the possibility that it could return. Yeah. And I'm kind of like thinking in my head right now that the role that faith plays here is very much, in my opinion, the reassurance, it's almost a tool for reassurance here in, in helping you cope and make it through that. It, it, I'm just thinking about if someone were to say, well, okay, of course you can say that good was going to come from mm -hmm. this because you ended up with a positive outcome. But even if, mm -hmm. You know, for those that unfortunately did not end up with a positive outcome, I don't think that discounts the role that faith could play in the journey that led there, you know, in, in that coping mechanism, in that ability to try and stay strong through it all. Um, I'm just thinking out loud here. 
Yeah, well, and I and I hope not. I hope not. I I don't. I I want to honor uh, and that journey and 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 be honest that there were hard days, but uh, but it really is. You know, the Bible says that we constantly have to be renewing our minds because our ways are not His ways, and so um, it was. And that's why I said community was so important to us because we needed people rallying around us, reminding us that you know, we were going to be okay. And, you know, at the end of the day, even if, right. Um, I think Daniel uses those words in the lion's den, you know, even if, um, even if we don't get the outcome we want, that it doesn't change God's goodness. And, you know, at the heart of being content in the chaos for me personally, uh, is, is knowing having faith and trusting that if I were to lose my son, that he would go right from my arms into the loving arms of a God who loves him more than I do. And, you know, that there would be no more tears and no more suffering. And um, as his parent, how can I be upset about him going to a loving place where there will be no more suffering? So really, that's where I was able to find contentment that in some ways, if if I lost him, I, I knew he was going to someplace better. Did you learn, I'm just thinking throughout this process for yourself, did you learn, was there anything you learned about yourself that was <laughs> a total surprise or <sighs> that maybe what you wouldn't have learned, you know, had you not gone through this journey? Mm. Hmm, that's a really good question. And I think, so Matt was diagnosed in February. It'll be three years ago in, in February coming up. And so that sounds like a long time, right? But uh, what I'm finding in the grief and the recovery world, like it's, it's, the scab is still pretty fresh and some days it's fresher than others. And um, so I think I'm still in the process of, of, understanding how the how the experience changed me and how it changed our family um i think that in some ways cancer the experience of it all of matt's cancer will always cause our family to have a limp and by that i mean like it's it's impacted us right like there's bruised places it's it's it was trauma um you know we still have i i I didn't ever really think about much about post-traumatic stress disorder in any context other than like a militant one. But, you know, we have that, you know, there are things that happen. There are triggers that like you smell something, you see something, you hear something, and it immediately takes you back into that, that place of, oh my, that place of despair. Um, and so I think I've learned to be more compassionate to people who are, who are in the midst of something that in my mind would be like, okay, you need to get over that. Like that happened a while back, like, you know, or you're making a bigger deal out of that than it probably needs to be just in general, like not me, not being considerate enough to the struggles that people go through and just how hard it is sometimes to move forward. Um, because, you know, I, I, I talk about how f- helpful our faith was and, and I, and I know that a lot of people don't have that. They don't have the community. They don't have, you know, like our whole city rallied behind our son. Um, and so I know sometimes when really bad things happen to people, they don't get the support that they need and they don't have something to put their hope in. Um, so it's made me, it's, I hope it's made me more compassionate to those people. Um, the experience reminded me of, like really kind of deep down who I am. Um, that's that, that part has been really good in the sense that I started writing again. So I was a journalist in like the first version of my life. And then I moved away from that. Um, and I, so I've come back to writing and for me, it's reminded me that like writing is how you make sense of the world. Um, one of my mentors says thoughts disentangle as they pass through our fingers. And so oh, I, I can, isn't that beautiful? It is. And so um, I'm continue to write about the experience. Uh, you know, Matthew and I have uh, 
an outline for a book, and we're about 20,000 words into the book. But um, I hope that when that book's done, or in five or 10 years from now, I can be more articulate with you about how the experience has changed me. But uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, I continue to be a work in progress from the experience. When, when was he, I want to say officially, but when was he, um, he's not officially cured, right? That takes, I think, five years. Yep. That's exactly he, right. Yep. Okay. But he's, in, I guess, in remission is what's considered. In remission. Right? So yep. When was, when was he considered in remission? Oh, so that's even a complicated, complicated thing. Um, so technically, and again, I think this is divine because our physician had never seen this. He took one round of chemo. So he, he was diagnosed on February 27th. On March 27th, he turns 19. It's his 19th birthday. And we had done another uh, bone marrow biopsy a couple of days before his birthday just to see how effective had that first round of chemo been and killing the cancer. So kind of just a gauge of, you know, how far did we get and how far do we have to still go as far as killing the cancer? And so Dr. Vellick called Matthew uh, on his birthday and he s- said, dude, you know, there's, there's no cancer. Like the, the tests show that you're cancer free, that you are in remission. So that was a great, great 19th birthday present. It uh, doesn't get much better than that. So that's the good news. So technically he went into remission after one round of treatment. But just because you go into remission doesn't mean you stop. So he continued to have these active rounds of treatment. Um, they went through the summer and uh, eventually um, under our doctor's direction and also at we collaborated with Washington University and the Site and Cancer Center in St. Louis. Um, we just had to stop. We had to stop giving Matt chemo because his body couldn't handle anymore. Like he was so sick and, you know, his numbers, his labs, his counts wouldn't bounce back up. So the doctors basically had collectively d- d- decided, like, we have to stop. Can't We can't give him anymore. He's been in remission since the first round to continue giving him more, the benefits, the risks outweigh the benefits. And that that was kind of scary too, because, you know, they lay out this plan, this plan, like if you do all of these things, then this is your best, best shot at the cancer not coming back. And we could not do all those things because Matthew's body just couldn't. And so... Again, what are you going to put your faith and your hope in? Are you going to put your hope in that, oh my gosh, if our, if our faith had been in our that plan all along, and then we come to September and they're like, oh, we can't finish the plan, like how devastated would that have been? Yeah. Devastated would we would have been. But our faith was never in the plan. Our faith was in God's plan. And um, so when they came to this point where they were like, no more, no more chemo, you do have to finish your radiation. So he had three weeks of radiation, which he actually hated the radiation worse than the chemo. And it came at the end, you know, and so I think at the end, you're just tired and ready to be done with active treatment. So um, his active treatment ended in September, and then he remained on maintenance chemo drugs. So he took oral chemo drugs. Um, for two years from his the day of his diagnosis. So we kind of look at February of this year of 2019 as the end of treatment. Yeah. So for you, I mean, that's been, so we're coming up on three years since his diagnosis. And then let's say almost a year now since kind of the official end of treatment. I could see where like for you, this is still, you said about the scab, like, mm-hmm you know, it might seem like a long time, even a year kind of since it, you know, generally has all the activities subsided, but I could see where, you know, it might take a couple of years to fully untangle this for yourself and kind of, you know, you mentioned being able to um, be more clear about, which I think you've been very clear about though, about how you feel and all that. But um, yeah, I, I can totally understand where it, it could take some time. You know, it might feel like it's been a while, but maybe it really hasn't. 
Well, and and I, whenever you started asking the question, I mean, basically, you know, your question is you want to know, well, when did it end? Right. Um, you know, and you were like, well, he's not cured because you can't say he's cured until five years. But, but here's what I've come to realize is like, when, when does it really end? I, I was going to ask like, yeah, because I, I was going to ask, how do you, now that this portion of the journey is over, mm-hmm. how do you go on each day knowing this came out of nowhere that one day in February? Mm-hmm. And it's almost like if it were me, my eyes now have been opened up to the fact that any day something could come out of nowhere. So not not living in fear, but like you said, you know, does it end? Like, is it just something now that maybe we're a little bit more attuned to, you know, pain and we're going to yeah. pay even closer attention if I get a headache or Matthew gets a headache, we're maybe going <laughs> to quickly, you know, look at that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean that in like a no. juvenile way, but... I, I just, like uh, yeah. you said, like, does it, I'm wondering, does it end? Which, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that's and, tough. And, and, and so far I can tell you that, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know for us. Like, yeah, anytime, anytime something happens with Matt, like I just now, I just have like, I just cut right to it. I'm like, Oh, does that feel like it did when you first got sick? You know? Um, does that symptom feel like whatever? And, and, you know, and he'll say yes or no. I mean, I think one time he got a rash that really worried him because, um, he did have a rash when he presented initially. Um, it's called petechiae. It's a rash where you don't have, um, enough platelets in your body. Um, and so basically like where his, the band or his underwear were, like he was bruising. So that, that rash was basically bruising. Um, but since then, like he's gotten a rash one other time and, and he told me, you know, after the fact, man, I was really worried about that rash. Like, you know, that rash for him was a trigger. And so uh, I think being aware of our triggers, uh, helps us not live in fear because I'm, you know, honestly, Tim, it's, there are days where it's hard not to be fearful. Um, because, Number one, you're fearful because the ultimate outcome of of losing someone you love. But just then, the day-to-day pain that was incurred of just watching somebody you love suffer and, you know, his pain. So, you know, I don't want to go back to that. I I don't. You know, if if something happens and we have to, then, you know, we'll do what we got to do. And uh, you said at the beginning of this, this, you know, that sometimes you just think it's so amazing about how people just find a way to keep going. And as you said that, I thought to myself, like, I, there really wasn't an option not to keep going because my son needed me. Right. And so giving up just what wasn't an option. And so, and the same is true now. We won't give up. We'll keep plodding along and, um, really just living a life that, that is full of gratitude, right? For this, this life that he's been given for the for today. Uh, you know, like this morning I was driving along the highway and I was listening to the song that always reminds me of Matthew and like tears are streaming down my face. The, the song is fight on fighter. And, you know, it says you're stronger than you were before. You're braver than you ever knew you were. And, you know, I, I cry tears of joy because it's the end of his semester from college today. And just what an accomplishment and what a blessing and a gift to get to experience his triumph. It, you know, and it's, it's the end of a semester, so it's not like this major achievement. But you know what? It is because to get to experience today is such a blessing and such a gift that it does make me stop and just weep it makes me weep sometimes for the blessings in it all i love that you said this semester is an achievement because it is and i mean just listening and having this opportunity and honor to to chat with you about all this like i think i'm just reminded of what i always try and keep in mind but that every little thing it is it's all the small things that blink 182 song was always right but it's all those little things that we can appreciate in every little thing that we're given, I mean, means mm-hmm. the world. And so, yeah, I mean, another semester in the books, 
That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, the little things really are the big things. They are. Well, Robin, um, thank you so much for for taking the time and in sharing this. You know, I know you've you've uh, as you mentioned, you know, that you and the family have have tried to share the story and and definitely help others in any way you can with that. But I know it is a personal story. It's a emotional story. I'm sure it brings back all sorts of emotions. So I really do appreciate you, mm. you know, sharing it with me and, and taking time to to chat about it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, I'm honored to be on the podcast and I, and I love this idea of helping people, you know, that we are only human, but that we have this resiliency and, and just tapping into it. So, so thanks for letting me be a part of it. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, rate and review us, and share this episode with a friend. Thanks.